So the reading from Matthew 3, beginning at verse 13, and this is what it says. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. They've kind of been thinking about metaphors, how to think about the Christian life for a long time. And you'll hear metaphors like this, life is a journey, life is an adventure. I'm kind of partial to life as a song. It's got its rhythms and refrains, right? And if life is a song, this is one really powerful verse. Simple water. God's word, his grace to you and to me. But what about Jesus' baptism? What was that all about? I mean, it's really a small portion of text. I mean, we, we just read like five verses, five verses in scripture. But it's crucial for us to understand what's going on there. It has all sorts of implications for who we are as Christians, as well as the Christian life. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you said, finally, finally class is over? Maybe not that loud. Finally, the Cubs win the World Series. Or uh, in my particular uh, section of beta, it's this one. Finally, turkey burger day in the calf. tell you about one of my finallys. 
My son Harrison, he's uh, five years old now. And we, uh, when we had him, we were living in St. Louis at the time. And I guess like all parents-to-be, we kind of had this equal parts excited, nervous, you know, perhaps a little scared. There's one late spring day, and I remember this well, about seven, seven months before he was born. My wife Tiffany calls out to me from the other side of the apartment. She says, baby, remember when I told you two weeks ago that I wasn't pregnant? Uh, yeah. Turns out that was a lie. <laughs> Life forever altered. You know, and after some haggling, this is kind of what we did. Tiffany uh, kind of allowed me one of my wishes. We would wait until the child was born to find out what the gender or sex was. We'd see then if it was a boy or a girl. My reasoning is this. It says, the woman gets this great pleasure of saying, honey, I'm pregnant. And then the husband gets this great pleasure of saying, honey, it's a boy or a girl. Actually, it would be, honey, it's a boy, or honey, it's a girl, not honey, it's a boy or a girl. That'd kind of be awkward. Honey, it's a boy or a girl. Nine long months of waiting, right? She went to labor at about midnight, and it was the day before our child was actually due. Finally. And Tiffany was awesome. She didn't do any painkillers. We were doing the scariest thing imaginable. Natural childbirth. And when our doula said it was time, somewhere around 8 the next morning, we loaded into the truck, and I drove her 20 minutes down the road to Missouri Baptist Hospital. Finally, we get to see this child that we've known for that long. We've prayed for for that long. The very child that I felt on my wife's tummy at St. Louis International Airport for the first time, and it made like some sort of alien baby movement, and it freaked me out. If you don't know, you're trying to get to the magical number 10. 10 centimeters. And when we got to the hospital, she got checked and they said, hey, she's at, you know, four centimeters. And I'm like, yes, we're going to be through with this thing by lunchtime. I'm kind of secretly kind of fist pumping. And hours pass, it goes five centimeters, seven centimeters, seven centimeters, seven centimeters, seven centimeters. And eventually we get to nine centimeters 17 hours later. Okay? Did I hear, did I remember telling you no drugs were involved here? Okay, all right, so. At this point, I'm a total emotional basket case. Now, I sense your judgment. You're like, oh yeah, you had a little anxiety, Joel. Good for you, okay? I, I get that. I feel your judgment here, okay? All right. But I'm finally asking, I'm asking these questions throughout this process. Is it going to be a boy or a girl? And in some respects, I don't really care. Either way, I'm going to teach him how to hunt and make pancakes, okay? All right? But this waiting, nine and a half centimeters, and the doctor walks in and says, guys, I'm sorry to tell you this, but that baby's not moving, and it's big. And then these dreaded words, we're going to have to do have to do a c-section and that terrified me because i knew it was the one thing my wife didn't want but on the other hand i knew that finally we'd be done we'd finally be able to shout this joy it's up and it would all be done tiffany shuffled down the hall in one direction i'm thrown in another room where i'm getting my scrubs on i'm updating the parents through texts and phone calls 
I'm escorted finally inside. I see her split in half by this kind of screen curtain. She's tired, but at least she's no longer in pain. And now she's got drugs, right? And I'm kind of thinking to myself, okay, uh, this is the moment. This is the moment. I asked the doctor, I'm going to be the one that gets to say if it's a boy or a girl, right? And the doctor's like, it's your child. Of course you get to do that, okay? But no one tells you how fast the C-section goes. It happens in a blink of an eye compared to the 17 hours of waiting we've been doing up until that point. And sure enough, out of the blue, our doctor, his name was Dr. Super, Dr. Super says, hey, you guys ready to meet your child? And I'm like, ready? Lift the child up over the curtain. I'm scanning for his junk. Check. And I go on over and I say, baby, it's a, and at that very moment, I kid you not, the anesthesiologist says, oh, it's a boy. And there goes my finally. Eight plus months of waiting, and there goes my finally. And in the grand scheme of things, folks, that finally wasn't that bad. It is, however, a picture of our lives. Lives in waiting. In some respects, our entire world is waiting to say, finally! We've got this gut instinct that our lives are moving towards some purpose towards some end, some telos that would indicate that our life, that our world, it makes sense and it matters. Paradoxically, there are only two great finalities in Scripture. The first happens when Jesus, the Son of God, becomes flesh and dwells among us, the incarnation of God. Since the fall of man in Genesis 3, all of humanity, all of the natural world for that matter, has been crying out, how long? How long until you fulfill your promise of redemption? How long, God, until you make things right? The psalmist in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long? How long to sing this song? I set my feet upon a rock And made my footsteps firm God finally says enough. He declares that the moment is now. It's time for Jesus to become flesh and dwell among men and women. Finally, Jesus becomes flesh. But here's the deal. Nothing happens for like 30 years. There's this cool birth narrative with donkeys and shepherds and wise men. Oh my. This kid Jesus who shows up, a few people at the temple, but that's really not the real finally that's happening with the incarnation. The actual finally begins on the banks of the Jordan River, where Jesus' cousin John 
proclaims the arrival of something utterly new. John recognizes who Jesus actually is, the long-awaited Messiah. The story of the baptism is not the story of the man Jesus showing us how to do a right properly. He's not doing it for the forgiveness of sins, folks. He had no sins to forgive. It's not an act of defiance against the teachers of the law who are watching on the shoreline. No, Jesus' baptism is the first great finally in history. Jesus' baptism announces the beginning of the end. It's the moment when he's publicly confirmed by his Father and authenticated by his Holy Spirit's resting that the time has come for the King to reveal himself. That the King would finally rid the land of this great and ancient evil. That the healing ministry of the God-made man has begun. You see, the man who walked into the Jordan River to be baptized was the man who would offer the waters of life found in his word and his blood. The first grade finally was underway. And who recognized him? The sick, the hurting, the failures, the JV team, the B squad, the people who weren't good enough to make it into the final 64. Those are the people who figured it out. Those, more than anyone, cried from the heart, finally, Lord, I've been broken and waiting for so long. And many of you know the lyrics to that song. How long, how long will you ignore me, Lord? How long will me, will I hear your silence? How long must I sing the song? I don't want to put the wool, put like a wool or pull a wool over your eyes. I don't want to feed you a line by saying, ah, Jesus loves you. Just have faith. Ah, it'll all work out in the end. Ah, everything works out to the good of those who love him. Now, while all these things have truth in them when they're used in their proper context, I want to place a particular thing on your heart today, a biblical and foundational reality that's our God delivers. God's declaration at the Jordan, he, he declares, this is my son whom I love, and him I am well pleased. It's the same statement he makes to the Christian who confesses him as Lord. His descent into the Jordan allows us to emerge from our baptismal waters out of the pit, out of the dirt, out of the clay, and into life. And though waiting for God's direct answer in our life might feel like a desperate series of how longs, the reality of God's presence is there nonetheless. victory becomes complete and we share in that great bodily resurrection that our King and Messiah experienced 2,000 years ago. The first finally proclaimed the coming of the King, emerging out of the waters and ultimately receiving a crown of thorns for his trouble. The second finally, that will proclaim the forever reign of the King, where we emerge out of the muck and mire, 
out of our own self-absorption, out of our isolation, out of our very graves. And ultimately, we receive a crown of life by his trouble. Maybe part of our Christian life, our shared song, is to help others with the lyrics. Maybe our song is a song of restoration and redemption and transformation, a new song. Perhaps our vocation can be the singing of this new song to a world only familiar with the old lyrics. Lyrics of pain, death, suffering, hopelessness. Perhaps our singing can move from how long to sing this song to the lyrics of Palm Sunday, where we sing Hosanna. Hosanna, after all, means save. That he did. That he does. As he promised. Finally. pray with me. You can remain seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who delivers on the promises that you make. We thank you for the graciousness and the mercy that exists in the midst of the promises that you've made. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, his life and his ministry in this world in order to call us to that which he accomplished on the cross, our salvation and our forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for the gift of simple things like water, when it's combined with your word of promise, that it actually accomplishes things. That in baptism you have saved us, you have taken your promise that you have delivered in Christ on the cross, and you deliver to us individually confirm us and seal us with your spirit. You call each of us sons and daughters. Lord, I pray that you would be with us as a community here at Concordia. That in all these gifts that you have poured out to us, you would strengthen us as a body of Christ, of love and forgiveness and mercy one to another, and also as ones who work to articulate those new lyrics of the song. I declare the promises that you have made to us, that the world would know it as well. Lord, there's so many things we have to thank you for, including all those things. Of course, also, Lord, we give you thanks and praise for the work that has been accomplished and the furthering of the, the plan for Concordia moving forward and that acceptance of that new plan by the city. In all these things, Lord, we pray that your work would be done, that you would be given glory, and the gospel would be proclaimed. With all these things, we give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, your Son, our Lord. Amen.